Hello, hello, hello. This is me by myself in my car, or also known as blah, 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 blah. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of my podcast. This is me, Keyshawn Rains, also known as Key Ray, coming to you from Studio C250 on Station 405 North. Um, I am actually driving and I just had this, you know, surge or this urge to do a little soapbox session for you. So here we go. Today, what I want to talk about is, and this message is specifically for people who are self-employed, desire to become self-employed, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, and those are all a little bit different and I can go into that later. A lot of times people use the term entrepreneur to kind of describe anyone who works for themselves, but I learned recently from a coach that an entrepreneur is one that actually establishes and runs a business, and entrepreneurs often have employees and and so on and so forth as their business grows. Then you have people who are self-employed. A self-employed person is a person who literally employs him or herself, and what that means is that in order for their income to come in, they have to work, they have to facilitate, they have to provide service or create a product. Whereas an entrepreneur or a business owner, which is also, you know, kind of related, an entrepreneur or a business owner can create or has created a business, whether it's providing a service or creating a product that they can essentially step away from and it will continue to generate revenue and revenue and they will continue to earn income whereas a self-employed person is self-employed meaning you the person have to get up get out and do whatever it is that you do some people call it your hustle your grind whatever but if you are self-employed, that doesn't necessarily make you a business owner. Even if you set up a corporation, even if you set up an LLC, even if you set up a sole proprietorship, whatever your business designation is, if you cannot step away from your business and it still functions without you, you are self-employed, which is a beautiful thing because there's a lot of people that are employees of someone else and they have the desire to become an entrepreneur and a good place to start is as a self-employed person. I am self-employed. I also own a business. As of today, my business is in the growth process, which means that it is at a stage of growth where in the future, I will be able to step away from it and will continue to generate revenue and I will continue to receive income. As of now, if I do not get up and get out, I don't eat. So I am still what I consider to be self-employed. And I do not consider that to be a downgrade from entrepreneur or solopreneur. I just think that, again, the phraseology has been used in a way that kind of allows the two to sort of kind of describe the same thing. I wanted to speak to this today for two reasons. Reason number one is as a person who is self-employed, I am in a service-driven business. And what that means is that I provide a specific series or grouping of services from teaching, coaching, organizing, assisting. 
And they all fall under the same umbrella that I have created, which is helping people create a lifestyle that is healthy, wealthy, and wise. So what that means is everything that I do, whether it's teaching a yoga class, facilitating a meditation session, coaching someone through personal or business-related challenges or goal-setting, organizing or clearing clutter out of someone's home or office, all of these things encompass what I consider to be a method that anyone can apply to his or her life to create more peace, to create more prosperity, and to create more pleasure. Because the reality is that every facet of your life is related to every facet of your life. So what's happening in your personal life, what's happening in your professional life, what's happening in your spiritual life, what's happening in your physical life are all contributing to your overall sense of wellness. And that is the reason why I named my company Soham Wellness because Soham is a Sanskrit word which essentially means I am. I am that I am. I am wellness. If my mind is well, if my body is well, if my, you know, heart, so to speak, is well, if my money is well, I am well. So the reason why I created a packaging or a grouping of services that don't just include mindfulness practices such as yoga and meditation, the reason why I decided to branch it out into all these other areas is because I discovered that as I was working with people for instance, clients that hired me for yoga and meditation, 90% of them had stress or stressors in their life that were rooted in either their financial health or lack thereof, their relationship health or lack thereof, or obviously their physical health. And so I was like, well, since all these things are related, then maybe instead of me just teaching people how to do yoga and how to meditate, maybe I can also teach them how to clear out the clutter in their homes that are actually contributing to some of the shit that's running around in their minds. And that's the reason why they can't sit still. So I decided to create all these different services. So if you want to know more about what I do, go to my website, www.iamsoham.com, and you can find out more about what I do. So back to this soapbox session for self-employed people or entrepreneurs and I'm going to use those terms interchangeably and you based on what I shared with you can decide which one refers best to you okay when you provide a service and I'm going to speak to service driven businesses in particular right now because that is the one that I have the most experience with and I can speak to it in a very confident manner when you provide a service the first thing that you do once you've identified what that service is is you monetize it. And when I say monetize, I mean you put a price on it, okay? Whatever your service is, whether it is detailing cars, bookkeeping, babysitting, dog walking, teaching yoga, delivering newspapers, picking up trash, whatever it is that you have decided to do as your business, you put a price on it. You do a little research, you look at the you know, going rates for what it is that you do. You can Google it. You can learn all kinds of stuff about what a competitive rate is for your particular service. If your service is extremely unique, you might find less information, but if it's a little more broad, you might find something closely related to it and you can use that as your baseline. One of my coaches actually told me, depending on, and this is like a very old school methodology, but it actually is pretty brilliant. She said, whatever your age is, that is what your price per hour, or your, I'm sorry, your rate per hour should be. So if you're 25 years old, your rate per hour should be $25. 
Now, depending on you know what the service is, and in some cases you take your age and you add a zero or you add two zeros, depending on what your service is, and you know the value of your service based on the results that your service provides or creates for your clients. When you're doing a service-driven business, your clients are essentially paying you for the results. You're charging them per hour or per week or per day, but they're paying for the results. And so what makes a service-driven business very interesting is that you are essentially determining the value based on what your client gets. If your clients, for instance, if you're a personal trainer and you charge your clients, you know, $300 a month or something for services, if your clients are reaching their goals, which are measured by, you know, scientific, you know, you know what the hell it is I'm trying to say, y'all. If your personal trainer and your results for your clients are measured by weight loss or body fat reduction or things like that, then your clients are going to see their results and they're going to feel validated for the amount of money that they paid you in order to achieve those results. But until the results are achieved, they're paying you for your time, your expertise, your ability to do what essentially they cannot do on their own. Otherwise, why would they hire you in the first place, right? So when it comes to setting your price points or setting your rates, the thing I just shared about, you know, take your age and add a zero to it, that's a very simple way to do it. And truth be told, it actually works well for me because I'm like, oh, this is my age, I'm gonna add a zero to it. And in some cases, if I'm breaking it down per hour, then I, you know, take that zero away, of course. Once you set your rate, stand your motherfucking ground when it comes to your rates. Because when I tell you that everybody, everybody, not just black folks, everybody is going to ask you to flex on your rate. They're going to ask, you know what? Let me pause. Not everybody. Many people, especially those that are trying to, in some cases, literally just kind of test you to see if you have the confidence in yourself and your ability to produce the results that they're looking for, to say to them, this is my rate, and there you go. Not, this is my rate, but I'm willing to work with you, so if you can only afford this, maybe I can offer you a da 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 No. No, 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 no. Now, this doesn't mean that somewhere worked into the structure of your business that you don't have a sliding scale option or a donation option or a way that you kind of have like a charitable element of your business so that you can make it accessible to certain people that you determine have the commitment or that you feel like you really want to offer this to them and you know that once they start working with you, they're going to see results and they're going to be able to eventually pay you what you really are worth. Sure, you get to decide that. You know, you as the business owner, as the self-employed person, as the entrepreneur, you get to decide, hey, you know what? This particular person came to me or they were referred to me and I really, really, really want to offer them this particular service and I know that they can't afford me, so I'm going to make an exception this once. But even when you do that, you have to make it clear to this particular client, I am offering this to you. In exchange for XYZ, you might have a bartering system set up with them. You might require them to give you 
a certain number of viable, live, strong referrals, however you want it. But do not, do not, do not, do not get in the habit of giving motherfucking hookups, period. Don't be in the habit of doing that. And when I tell you that it's not just black folks that ask for it, most of my clients are not black. And most of my clients have plenty of money, plenty. So when they ask me to flex either on my rates or they ask me to do way more than what it is that I was hired for or what service of mine that they actually selected, I have to stand my ground and say no. For instance, I provide like I said, holistic services such as meditation and yoga. I also provide something that I consider to be a holistic service, which is clutter clearing and organizing. Clutter clearing is essentially removing the clutter that is in your home, office, or wherever you occupy that is actually blocking the natural energetic flow into your space. A lot of people are clutter bugs, a lot. And I'm not talking about hoarders like TV show. I don't do that. That ain't, mm mm-mm. I can't. There's someone else who does and you can find them. I clear clutter. I help people literally sift through a bunch of their crap and it ends up being a very therapeutic experience because what people discover is that if you have a bunch of clutter around, you probably have clutter in your mind. There's probably clutter in your body. There's probably clutter essentially in your soul. So when it shows up around you, that is the last stage. That is the, oh shit, we got to do something about this stage. And that's when I come in and I bring my practices and my methods and they are very, very powerful. If you hire me to provide clutter clearing services, do not ask me to babysit your child. Don't. Babysitting is not one of the services that I provide. If you hire me to be a coach and or what I like to call a life assistant, do not ask me to wash your dirty laundry. Do not, because that is not what I do. There are people, very, very professionally trained people who provide those services. But what I discover is when someone realizes that you're good at something, they often get really comfortable and ask you to do a whole bunch of other some things on top of that. And that's what I call the slippery slope situation. And it is your responsibility as the service provider to set a boundary. Now, if you wanna add another package to your list of services that includes housekeeping and or childcare, by all means do that. However, specifically when it comes to childcare, there are specific certifications and safety training that I recommend before you say yes to keeping anybody's kid especially white people um, to keeping anybody's kid you better make sure you are CPR certified and so on and so forth because if anything were to go wrong you would be fucked so I say that to say being a multi-hyphenate which is a new word that I just learned listening to Amanda Seals podcast last week a multi-hyphenate is what some people will call a jack of all trades I know that sometimes jack of all trades get the negative connotation because people assume that if you're good at many things, you can't be really great at anything. I disagree. I know that you can be good at many things if you put in the time to be able to master whatever that thing is. I've been working and providing services since I was in the fifth grade. I started babysitting when I was 10 years old, not just my siblings, 
And then I started babysitting professionally. It was being paid for it because just consider yourself a quote unquote professional. You got to get paid for whatever your service is. I was getting paid for babysitting when I was 12 years old. So I have mastered certain elements of providing care for others. And I think that's what led me to the road that I'm on right now. I also was being paid for providing administrative support, organizational support, and other, you know, corporate assistant type shit when I was 15 years old. So I have over 25 years of experience in that particular arena. So again, I consider that a skill that I have mastered. So when I provide services and I decided to sit down and say, hey, I'm going to start a business and these are the things I want to provide. What am I really good at? Let me put a price tag on it. And then I started marketing myself and then I started promoting myself. And what I discovered is I started getting clients. What's happening right now is very interesting. About two months ago, I had a surge of a bunch of new clients and each one of them essentially hired me to do the same thing, which in this case, they hired me for organizational and administrative support, which I'm happy to provide. I had a nice little flow and what I discovered is about 30 days in with every single one of them, they all started trying to parlay some other little things into the services that I was providing. It went from me being hired to provide service A and then they're sprinkling in a bunch of other little things which I don't necessarily mind. However, when it comes time for me to send you your invoice and you see that there are other services that you have been billed for, please don't be surprised because if I provide the service, I expect to be paid for it. What I discovered is a lot of times when you're in a service-driven business, I don't know if like personal trainers deal with this or if other people deal with this, but you give people you know, a little bit of leeway. Like, okay, girl, I know you technically hired me to do this, but sure, I'll drop your mail off. Not a problem. But then when it becomes a consistent behavior, you as the service provider have to communicate to your client what that boundary is that they seem to be overstepping. So for instance, I have had in past tense, a client that was asking me to provide full-time services for part-time pay. We'll just put it that way. And the way that I chunk out my services are in what I call time blocks. So for certain blocks of time with a certain price point, I will provide services within that time. And this is specifically speaking to more of the um, personal assist, life assistant, you know, type services. A life assistant for me is someone that is an assistant for your life, okay? Whether they're, you know, the person that you are, you know, going through business, you know, plans with, or the person that's, you know, driving your kid to, you know, the doctor or the person that, you know, is helping you sit down and pay your bills or that kind of thing. But I know that before I decided to promote myself as that, I had to get very specific about what it is that I will do and what it is that I won't do. And what I realized is that when I got very specific with what it is that I will do, people started asking me to do things that were not on that list. And I found myself having to say no a lot. And what I discovered is that that sometimes made people very bothered or upset. And I have had to detach, part ways, let go of, or graciously bow out from some client agreements, not agreements, but from some client relationships because I discovered that they were wanting something for nothing. 
Now, everybody knows what they are willing to do and what they're not willing to do. You know exactly what your boundaries are. You know exactly what you're willing to do. You know exactly if you're like, hey, I'll do it, but I'm gonna charge you X, Y, Z for it. That's your call. I know for a fact that when someone hires you to do something specific and you provide them with a list of these are the things that I do and they start to ask you to do things that are not on that list, it can be a slippery slope for them to try and parlay you into being something that you're not. And if it doesn't sit right with your soul, don't fucking do it. We're going to take a little break. Okay, and I'm back. So the reason why I am very passionate about entrepreneurs understanding that or self-employed people understanding that if you're in a service-driven business, whether you are a personal trainer, a private dance instructor, choreographer, personal assistant, yoga instructor, whatever it is, when you provide a service that is customizable, is the way that I like to describe it, which means that your client gets to have a lot of creative input on exactly how you show up for for him or her. It is very important that you set very specific, clear and concise boundaries before you go in and start providing these services. Because what I've discovered is one thing I really do like to do is to provide life assistance services for small business owners, particularly women, because I really obviously can relate to the struggles, the pitfalls and the peaks of a woman who has made the choice to become a business owner. And I know that it can be stressful, especially those women who are also mothers. There's obviously a special place in my heart for women who choose to do that. So I decided to create something called the Life Assistant Program. And it's not necessarily publicized on my website because I'm very, very, very specific about the people that I choose to work for when I provide this particular service. What I discovered is that A life assistant is a life assistant. It's somebody who shows up for you, whether they're there to dry your tears because you're going through a breakup or they're there to, you know, lift you up because you're celebrating, you know, success in your business, whatever it is. A life assistant might also check your mail and pay your bills or run to the grocery store, pick up juice or lunch for you or, you know, drive your kid to practice or whatever they do. I like doing those kinds of things. What I discovered is that Providing those kinds of services for someone is a very, very valuable service. And when I say valuable, I mean that the result that is created by a great life assistant, in some cases, I might even want to call it priceless, to be perfectly honest, because what were you doing before? Losing your fucking mind? Trying to balance 55,000 things by yourself? Not even doing it very well? And what I think is unique about what I provide is that I do bring in a very mindful and intentional approach to doing all of these things. Yes, I'm super fucking organized. Yes, I can come in your office or your home and, you know, pimp it out and make it look clean and beautiful. And you'll be like, oh, my God, I know everything is everything has a place. It's so great. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's part of what I do. But the intention behind that is for someone to have the experience where they walk into their space and they're like, oh my God, I feel so good. This is so great. Everything's in order. Everything looks good. I know I'm being taken care of. I know I'm being supported. What I've learned is sometimes (laughs) 
I've had experiences with clients where they hire me to be their life assistant and they think that I'm their friend. And I'm not. I have friends. I have chosen family. I have actual family. My clients are not my friends. I don't want to be friends with my clients because I learned very early on that when you become friends with your clients, that they often start to overstep the professional boundary. They start to take you in like, oh, this is the homie. And I could ask her to do all kinds of things and I'm not really going to pay her for it because she's my friend. So when I get the invoice on Friday, I'm going to ask questions about why am I being billed XYZ and then I have to remind them, I'm not your friend, you're my client. So I've had that happen a lot. I don't know if any other, you know, service-driven entrepreneurs or self-employed people have experienced that, but I've experienced it a lot. And what I've learned is that, yeah, I'm a likable person, duh. People have to like, know, and trust me in order to give me money, especially to provide personal services where I have access to, you know, personal information, private information, business, so on and so forth. So yeah, I get it. However, I'm not your friend. And I know that's probably going to hurt some people's feelings. And if you're a former client listening to this, sorry, we're not friends. You are my client. That's why you pay me to provide a service for you. I would hope that nobody is paying anyone to be their friend. And if you are, you need to sign up for some life coaching and I can support you with that because you should never pay people to be your friends. So anyway, I went on this soapbox rant, (laughs) soapbox session because It's been on my heart and mind because I have a lot of friends who are in the process of building service-driven businesses. And I always, always, always find that we have conversations about, well, how much should I be charging people? And is this too much? Or is this too little? Or da-da-da-da-da. How come people raise their eyebrows or frown their nose when I tell them that I'm charging XYZ? And I'm like, well, if they're raising their eyebrows or if they're frowning up their nose, they're not your client. That's not who you want to market yourself to. When you think about marketing yourself, okay, I'm going to go on another little tangent right here. When you're in a service-driven industry, when you've chosen to say, I'm going to start a business and it's going to be a service-driven business, when you've made that choice, you have to decide who your clients are before you actually attract them. You have to decide, who do I want to work with? You have to literally write down very clearly what your typical client looks like, so to speak, not like actual appearance, but what they look like, meaning how much money do they make? What kind of industry are they in? What kind of lifestyle do they have? What kind of businesses are they in? What type of services are they going to want from you and what type of services are you willing to provide? Those are the kinds of things that you're going to look at. You're going to look at their age group. You're going to maybe want to consider socioeconomic status depending on what type of services you're offering because, yes, there are some people who are in service-driven businesses and they specifically are like, I want to provide XYZ services, but I want to provide them to people who are in XYZ you know, um, socioeconomic group. Maybe they want to provide services that are donation-based that's cool too. Whatever floats your boat is what you're going to determine for yourself. I chose to provide services to people with money because I feel like the type of clientele that I like working with are people who don't raise their eyebrows when I tell them my rates, who don't ask me for hookups and shit like that because 
I don't like having those conversations. And like, again, like I said, I've dealt with that. Hence the reason why I've had to detach and depart from certain clients. Because what I know for sure is, for instance, some of my clients have been business owners and self-employed people themselves. Actually, all of my clients have been business owners and self-employed people. And they, most of them, have businesses that are service-driven, whether they're real estate agents or they provide, you know, massage services or they, you know, work in the entertainment industry, doctors, lawyers, whatever. They're all essentially providing services and they all have a rate and they charge their clients or their customers or their patients, whatever that rate is. And if their clients, customers or patients can't afford it, guess what? They're not going to work with them. That is the same way that I have chosen to set up the structure of my business. And some people are like, oh my God, well then, you know, like, aren't you putting yourself in a position where everybody is not going to be able to afford you? Who's going to work with you? Who's going to work with me? The people who can afford me. That's it. And I've also set up an element of my business that does provide accessible pricing for certain clients. And I get to pick and choose who those clients are. So the reason why I'm on the soapbox today is because I really want to urge, encourage, and really command anyone out there who's hearing this, who is thinking about starting a business that is a service-driven business, to set your rate based on your worth. You know what you're worth. You know the value of what you provide. If you're just starting out and you've never actually provided the service ever, ever, ever before and you don't have any testimonials or anybody who can sing your praises or anybody who's willing to speak up and say, yes, what this person did for me is fantastic. Oh my God, you need to hire them. If you don't have that, then yeah, maybe you don't know the value of what it is you're providing. And maybe that's why you're struggling with coming up with a price point or a rate. In that case, yeah, you may want to do some little volunteery type vibes and and get some feedback from some people and maybe work with a coach who can help you structure your business or help you figure out exactly what your pricing should be. But what I'm telling you is do not sell yourself short. Because what happens a lot of times is depending on where you are in your life, if you're starting a business or if you're choosing to be an entrepreneur, you're probably coming off of what I like to call a plantation, you're coming off of having a quote unquote regular job, okay, where somebody else told you what your worth was, where somebody else said, well, this is what the job pays. Do you want it? I don't know how many people have applied for a job where the employer was like, how much would you like to make? I don't know anybody in any industry where the person who was writing their check said, how much do you want us to pay you? They said, this is what the job pays. Do you want it? And so what happened when those types of, you know, interactions were taking place when we first started working, we became conditioned to believing that whatever the other, whatever the person who was signing our checks said we were worth is what we were worth, which is not the case. Hence negotiation. Okay. What you have to understand is how much you're willing to work and how much you are willing to accept for your work. Only you can decide that. And like I said before, there's many ways for you to determine that. But once you've decided it, you have to stand your ground. And what I would like to implore on specifically people of color and women in particular to make it even more fun is 
do not make the assumption that just because we are the same color or we are the same gender that I'm going to hook you up. Do not. Don't even be in the habit flipping that. Don't even be in the habit the person providing the service. Don't be in the habit of offering a hookup. I've had people very recently, people who are, you know, have specific skills who have said, oh, I can give you X, Y, Z. I'll give you the, the hookup. And I'm like, I ain't even ask for a hookup. Now, if I ask for a hookup, that's another story, but I ain't even ask for it. And it really stood out to me because I'm like, oh my God, we've been conditioned to offering hookups. Stop doing that. Stop offering hookups. Now, if you want to offer a discount for a specific period of time, as part of your marketing plan, by all means, go ahead and do that. Companies, businesses offer discounts as part of their marketing plans all the time, but it's done very strategically. It's not just willy-nilly on the whim, oh, this is a homie, oh, da-da-da. No, you have to treat your business like a business. Otherwise, it will not grow. And sometimes, yes, that means firing clients. Sometimes that means letting go of clients. Sometimes that means that you have to raise your prices after a certain period of time because the cost of your business sometimes determines increase in your prices. For those of you who are operating a brick and mortar business, which means you actually have a physical building where you operate out of and you have to raise your prices and people are like, oh my God, why do prices go up? Because the cost went up. That's why. And for me to continue to make money as a business, I have to recover my cost by increasing the pricing of my services. Sometimes that happens. I do it as well. I don't have a brick and mortar business, but I have to raise my prices to cover the cost of the services that I provide. Transportation is one of them. Cell phone usage is another, so on and so forth. So when you really sit down and say, I'm gonna start a business, I'm gonna do X, Y, Z, you really have to think about, instead of operating like you are, a hobbyist, so to speak, or just pursuing a hobby, you have to operate with the mindset that you are running a business because trust and believe those people who made that choice to become self-employed, to become an entrepreneur and to be, uh, become eventually a business owner that is running a profitable business, they had to take their emotions out of it and treat it like the business machine that it is. So a whole lot of people probably gonna disagree with everything I just said, and frankly, great. If somebody doesn't disagree with me, then that means that people are not critically thinking, and I love critically thinking people. So I'm gonna jump off the soapbox for today. I hope this spoke to someone who heard this because it was just really on my heart. This goes out to every self-employed person, every entrepreneur, and every business owner that is running a service-driven business. I support you, I love you, I recognize your power and your strength and your commitment, and I stand firmly with you that we have to stand our ground, we have to set boundaries, and we have to know our worth. Okay, peace, y'all.